You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Well, welcome to the broadcast. This is In Context, where our goal is to help you understand God's Word in the context it was written and how it applies in the context of your life. Today in the broadcast, we have the great privilege, and it's going to be fun, I can tell already, to be talking to Dennis and Barbara Rainey. You can already hear that legendary laugh. <laughs> Speaking of context. Uh... Yeah, there you go. Dennis and Barbara have co-authored 35 books and counting, mostly on marriage and parenting. Dennis is the president and CEO of Family Life, the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Family Life Today, which if you haven't listened to, it's a kick in the pants. You need to tune in. Barbara is also a contributor to the broadcast as well as a writer herself. Family Life recently celebrated 40 years. That's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. You're not that old, Barbara. I don't think so either. Dennis is, but you're not. (laughs) I think she's the best-looking grandmother of uh, soon-to-be 23 grandchildren that I've ever seen. You got married in 1972. You got six kids uh, five in-laws grafted in, and soon to be six? Yep. Yep. Last one's getting married soon. I just had the fifth conversation with a young man. He asked for her hand in marriage, and I said, uh, you can ask her to marry you, but you can't uh, have her hand in marriage yet. <laughs> I want to talk to you. I have six conversations I want to have because after you get married, my mouth has got to be shut. You're, you know, you're really a turkey. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my last daughter, Michael. <laughs> well, listen, I would talk to you all day, but there are two things I really want your help on. And they're kind of unrelated, but I think they're important for today, and uh, you'll see why. So I want to talk about how you keep romance alive, and I want to also talk about counsel, encouragement for millennials. Disparate subjects, but... Uh, this month on In Context, we're doing a, a host of uh, building strong marriages and bringing friends in and folks in to talk about that, and there's no one better than the two of you. So let, let's start off, Dennis, um, in the years of your marriage, two, three things that you personally have done to keep romance, keep the fire alive in your marriage. Number one, never stop courting your wife. Just because you have won the prize, the competition is not over. I think husbands need to realize they're constantly competing for their wives' hearts. Uh, One of my favorite things to say to Barbara is I'd marry you all over again, and I would. We just celebrated our 44th anniversary, Mm. and uh, absolutely no regrets. Has it been hard? Absolutely. Has it been one of the the toughest journeys of our, our, our lives? No question about it. Marriage done right, I think, is going to be hard work. It's it's a, a lifetime journey, and it's two imperfect people, two broken pots, attempting to make a relationship go go the distance. So uh, you got to begin with the commitment, but after the commitment's in place, never stop courting your wife. Never stop telling her you love her, opening the door for her, common courtesies. And then a second thing, Michael, is uh, a date night. When we had six kids in 10 years and went through the process of raising all, all six of them, four teenagers at one time, six cars with over 700,000 miles on those six cars. <laughs> the insurance agent just walked up and asked for my wallet and asked me to put my hands against the wall. Blank check. Yeah, exactly. You know they're going to have a wreck. Just give me your checkbook. 
you know, our date night was a, a life-giving experience for Barbara and me as we would meet and talk about challenges we were facing with our kids, but also we'd argue over the calendar and our priorities. And uh, No, you argued? I would say our date nights caused more <laughs> stress. Now, we're talking and, about romance and keeping the uh, thing it alive. It, it, it is. A but good you know, fight. If, if, if you're not on the same song sheet, if you're not hammering this stuff out, because your, your, your calendar is a practical statement sure. of your priorities. Sure. You can say what they are. If you look at your calendar, that's what they really are. So, Barbara, how did you... Well, first of all, did you respond to his attempts to court and pursue you? And then what did you do to court and pursue Dennis? Well, yes, I did respond because the kinds of things he was talking about, the common courtesies, I think are statements of love that any wife would respond to. So him opening the doors and carrying in the groceries and when I pull in the driveway, he says, is there anything, you know, I, I need to unload out of your car? Those kinds of things remind me, even without him saying, I love you, that he loves me. And so I think those small actions of self-sacrifice are very meaningful to a wife. And so as much as a husband can do that or is around to do that, when those needs present themselves, I think that communicates love and appreciation and value to his wife. Because the problem with so many of us women is that we get married and then we have kids and we begin to feel like a giant vending machine. Everybody needs us. And we run out of supplies in the machine and we, we feel like we're empty. <laughs> and so, so husband comes along and he has needs too. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I have nothing left to give. But when he's making investments in me as a person and valuing me as a person and appreciating what I do, do what I did, how I'm contributing, then it's easier to give back and and to respond to him as my husband. So that's how that worked for us. Creative things that you did uh, from your side, Barbara? Well, I think primarily it was making time for our relationship. So I, we had lots of conversations about keeping our marriage a priority and what we both needed to do, how we needed to do it. So the date nights were just as important for me. In fact, I think in many ways they were more important for me than they were for him mm-hmm. because I had his undivided attention mm-hmm. for two or three hours. Um, the date nights were not romantic um, on the front end at all because it was really about the business of our family and solving the issues in our family. But once I felt listened to, once I felt heard, once I knew that he was in the boat with me and we were both paddling in the same direction, it was a whole lot easier for there to be some romance on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I would say, too, as far as making your marriage your priority is we, we also tried to get away a couple of times a year, just the two of us without the kids, and that was a huge challenge. And our goal was two or three times a year. We probably didn't make it more than once, but even once a year where you had extended times um, where you could just breathe and take walks and mm-hmm. not talk if you didn't want to talk, but you had plenty of opportunities to talk if you wanted to. Those kinds of things are important investments in marriage, and they give life to your marriage. So together, we we covenanted, we agreed that our marriage was our priority. It was more important than anything else, and we were going to do what it took to keep it the most important thing in our lives. We have to realize that uh, men and women spell romance differently. 
Really? W women spell romance. <laughs> I know this is new news yeah, to you. No, no, I, I, I didn't know this. Tell me. <laughs> well, maybe all your listeners know, too. I don't even, even need to get into this. Huh? Oh, we're done. Okay, interview over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Women spell romance, R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P. Which is a lot of letters, and it's a long word. And it's a lot of time. <laughs> Takes a lot of time. The acrostic is long, right? Yeah. It is. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It is yeah, a, a long mm -hmm, acrostic. Mm -hmm. Men, of course, spell romance in the shortest word in the English vocabulary, S-E-X. And one other just little simple thought I'll, I'll leave with your listeners here. Um, it took me a long time to learn this, but this is worth your listeners tuning in today just to hear Barbara's wisdom on this. I thought because A plus B plus C equal S-E-X. Right. Last night, that A plus B plus C equals sex tonight. I had to learn from Barbara that... A plus B doesn't always equal C. A plus B may equal something else on any given day. And the mystery of marriage is for him to figure out what that equation is on any given day. And, and, Michael, here's the interesting thing is Barbara changes the alphabet. Really? <laughs> I thought Cindy was the only one that did that. Yeah. And so uh, here's what Barbara, and, and no, all kidding aside, this was what she hit me with. She said, I don't, I don't want to be reduced to a formula. I don't want to be figured out. I want you to continue to pursue me and want to know me because mm. my life changes so much mm -hmm. that I want you to be interested in knowing what's going on in my heart and my soul and my emotions. And that isn't going to ever be figured out in a formula. I couldn't give him a formula if I wanted to give him a formula because right. there isn't one. You've probably used and seen the illustration of the, the long litany of romance to a wife, you know, wine her, dine her, take her right. out. Right. You know, it's, it's like a page and a half of things, you know, all these different <laughs> things. And then the men's version is uh, show up naked, bring food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, there is a mystery there, Barbara. I like that word because um, Cindy would often get her hair done. I would say every six to eight weeks she'd get a, you know, her hair done. And I'd say I'd get a new woman every six to eight weeks. You know? Yeah. And it was just illustrative of you can't figure her out. When she's a young mom, when you're dual income pre-children perhaps, when you're a young mom, when you're dealing with stay at home versus going to work, yeah, it all changes. The teen years, the tumultuous time, the driving, the, the heartbreaks, the relationships, the bad kids they bring home, the good kids they bring home. And, and not to be stereotypical, but that consumes uh, Barbara, you, and Cindy far more than Dennis and me. And it shapes how we feel about ourselves. It shapes what we think about ourselves. And that's a part of what makes the formula change all the time because I, I'll never forget when our oldest hit her teen years and I started looking at her and thinking, oh, my gosh, she's growing up and becoming this beautiful young mm -hmm. woman. And then I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm aging. Yeah. And so that that sent this little earthquake, oh, who am I now? And how do I think about myself? And there, and that's just one of millions yep. of, of circumstances that, that factor into how we think and feel about ourselves as women and as wives. So, so, Barbara, you interact with lots of young women, whether they're on staff at Family Life or just in your sphere of influence. Um, what are you seeing trending in these young women, the way they look at marriage? And, and granted, they are getting married later. How do we encourage them? 
I actually just wrote a book that is my attempt to encourage the millennial generation of women. Um, And the book is Letters to My Daughters. And what I've done in that is two things. One is I wanted to share with my daughters. So that was my motivation for writing it. But I wanted to share with them the lessons that I had learned through the years of marriage. And then secondly, I wanted to lift the value of marriage because so many millennials are looking at marriage and thinking, gosh, I don't know if I want to take that risk or not, because they've seen so much divorce and they don't have the hope that if they actually decide to try marriage, that it's going to work. They don't want that pain because they've seen it up close and personal, and I don't blame them either. But what I hope to do um, is I want them to see that marriage was God's idea and that it was a, a beautiful idea and that if you follow what God teaches about marriage, you can have the success that you hope for. And I think we all have that longing Um, that built-in longing that God created in our hearts to have the kind of intimate relationship that only marriage can provide. And so I think we need to help these these young millennials have a fresh vision for what marriage can be, for what marriage is supposed to be, and to have the faith to believe that it is possible. One of my favorite verses that I referred to often on throughout the book is um, Luke one thirty seven, where Gabriel told Mary that this is not impossible when she said, how can it be that I would have the child mm. Jesus? And he said, these things are not impossible with God. And I've used that for years at the Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference because I think we feel so many times, and I have felt it in our in our marriage, this is impossible. This is too hard. We'll never survive this crisis. We'll never get beyond it. And yet when we remember that nothing is impossible with God, that opens the door for him to be able to do what only he can do to change our hearts, change our lives, work in our circumstances, and bring us through on the other side where we're stronger and more committed than ever before. Some of the trends we see in millennials, um, I think they're more passionate. I think they have more risk-taking mm-hmm. than our generation did. They're overly ambitious and entrepreneurial in the sense that they don't want to just stop abortion. They want to end sex trafficking. They yeah. want to mm-hmm. eliminate orphanages. You know, I mean, they've got these right. these huge uh, goals and passions and visions. Now, how do we help them channel that to a manageable degree. And and I don't want to squelch. I love that part of that generation. It shames me to some degree. But how do we give them a realistic view of it without, you know, hurting the energy? Well, I don't know that we need to so much correct their view because we had, I I know Dennis and I had some of those passions too. When we were college students and first married, we really believed that we could change the world. And I think that is admirable, and I love that about the millennial generation. I think more than anything, we just need to remind them to live their lives by the priorities that God makes clear in his scripture, and that is we love him first, and then when we get married, that we keep our marriage a priority, and then when we have kids, we don't let the kids become more important than the marriage. And then everything else will filter out from that, and I think that's the challenge for this generation because so many young women in particular are trying to keep some of those things alive after they have children. So they're still trying to write books, maintain a blog, um, do all these things to end, 
you know, water crises and sex trafficking, all of those things that are noble and worthy and absolutely need to be done. But the risk is, is that when those things become more important than those primary responsibilities of our relationship with Christ and our marriage relationship and then our kids, that's when the danger, um, I think, happens in their lives and in their relationships. I would talk to moms and dads uh, just out of how Jesus concluded the most famous sermon he ever gave. Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting at the end of this unbelievable message that he gave that he he uses the imagery of a home. And this is what I would say to a millennial. Your home is going to be built in the midst of a storm. So listen to the words of Jesus. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What the storms do is they reveal where your foundation is. Mm -hmm. When a couple starts to build a physical house, I'm talking about building a house from scratch, what do they do? They get an architect, they get blueprints, and they get a builder. Every marriage has an architect, blueprints, and a builder. Now, the problem is, is a lot of marriages have different blueprints, different architects, and different builders for both the husband and the wife. And if you had two people building a physical structure off of two different sets of blueprints with two different builders, you're going to get some strange-looking houses. Hmm. If you do not have a clear picture of what the blueprints are, I would just challenge couples, go to the weekend to remember and invest a Friday, Friday night, all day Saturday, half day Sunday, and leave there at the end of those two and a half days, leave there with a set of blueprints that you too can refer to as you face the storms, as you go through the seasons of uh, financial struggles and raising children and teenagers and on and on it goes. The storms are going to happen and the storms will reveal who the builder is, Mm -hmm. and what the foundation of that house has been as well. I can't remember the author, and I'm going to paraphrase the the line, but it was something along the line of marriage is a very long journey, and most couples stop before they get to the first vista. And Barbara and I talk about this frequently. We're so glad we didn't quit. Yeah. And if I might just say a word about quitting, um, I challenge couples all the time. Do not ever use the D word. Don't let it cross your lips. And if it has been stated, you need to go to your wife or your husband and ask for forgiveness. And if your kids have heard you mention the word, you need to get down on one knee and tell them that daddy or mommy made a mistake or we both did and that's not right. We're not going to get a divorce. We're committed for a lifetime. Well, I I can't thank you enough, not just for the time, but for what you have meant to Cindy and me all these years. Uh, your faithfulness, your perseverance, your encouragement to us as a couple, your encouragement to us as a family, uh, the privilege of calling you a brother and a sister and a friend in Christ. It's just been a, a extraordinary privilege to know you guys and to watch you and cheer you on and see how many couples you have influenced and just love you guys. Well, we love you and Cindy too, and it's been a great privilege to be friends. We couldn't agree more. I love you, Michael. I'm proud of you as a, as a man, a, a husband, uh, a dad, seeing you function in all those ways as well as a leader in the in the church and nationwide. And 
Well, these are needy days in our nation, and I just want to remind your listeners that what we've been talking about in this this brief conversation is really one of the most important relationships you'll ever have in life, mm. maybe only superseded by your relationship uh, with God. Sure. I, I can't. Uh, it is the foundation of a nation and uh, is the lifeblood of the next generation. On that note, this is Dennis and Barbara Rainey and Michael Easley in context. If you listen to our podcast on iTunes, would you take a minute to rate and review our show? We love reading your feedback and this helps the show become more discoverable for other listeners. Thanks again for listening.